Hello and welcome to another episode of Goddess of Crypto. I have had so many wonderful people on recently that I haven't had a chance to do any episodes of my own. So I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you about all of the things that have been happening in the crypto world. So if you were a longtime subscriber, by long time, I mean, we've had over 30 episodes. So if you've been subscribing most of the year, you may recall back early on in the recording of these episodes that I mentioned a dear friend. The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money, including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse, is all these things too. Welcome to the Goddess of Crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply, so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female. My friend, guy that I've had known since I was a little kid, I think we met when we were about nine or 10 years old, and he is very high up in banking now, and specifically in wealth advisement and wealth investment. And he had really taken me to task for being, as he put it, unconscionably open to scams and really just all the bad things that he was seeing with crypto. He believes that crypto is a complete ripoff. Everything from Bitcoin down to you know Shiba Inu and everything in between is horrible and should be avoided at all costs. And he said, basically, as a good person, he's known me you know, my whole life. He's like, as a good person, how can you do this? How can you talk this way to people when it's obvious that it's a Ponzi scheme and a scam and should never be you know, allowed to go forward, needs to be really, really deeply regulated and should be avoided at all costs in the meantime. So that was really an eye-opening conversation for me. At the time, I don't even know if he knows this, but at the time it really hurt me deeply because of our strong and lengthy friendship and because of the fact that I think that may very well be the only argument we've ever had. You know, it's not like we see each other all the time or we've just basically been Facebook friends like the last, I don't know, I think I saw him maybe 10 or 15 years ago in person. But it is that as a person that I know, like if I needed something, I could call and he would support me. And the reverse is true as well. This was really uncomfortable. And I really had to sit with, here's a guy that's considered top of the game in the financial market. And here is little old me who doesn't actually know or understand very much about the financial world. I have not gone to school for this. I have not studied this stuff. And I have had my lumps when I tried to get into stock investing or when I rode the real estate market all the way up, but then rode it all the way back down. It's like that. Like I've had, and I, you know, I'm the victim of a Ponzi scheme. And I've said all of these things in my episodes. I've shared all of this history. Any new listeners are like, well, why am I listening to you now, lady? But the truth is that because I've had my ups and my downs, I've discovered it isn't brain surgery. And I can see 
what is coming with the future of money. And that has been very obvious to me for the last several years. And it is not okay for me to hide my head and say, well, I didn't go to school for this, or I don't have all of the whatever 30-year career that my friend, who's the VP of whatever at one of the big companies, that he has. You know, he lives and breathes and and eats this life and has a ton of money. And I have just now, through a completely different channel, through the sacred divine feminine, through this download about the goddess of crypto, come to this world. And as I've shown up, it's at a time when we are teetering on the precipice of a great financial tsunami, which I talk about all the time. Now, I just spoke at Women in Web 3 Miami, and there's apparently a lot of crazy fluctuating stuff that happens at these crypto events. So the talk I was supposed to give didn't end up happening. And I ended up on this panel with three other women and a guy and talking about women in Web3 and women in crypto and women of color talk about underrepresented, right, in crypto. But it was fascinating. And one of the women was from Argentina. And go back to my episode on the value of money in different countries where I talked about you know, seeing like these huge disparities. She's from one of those countries. She was saying that Argentina has dealt with a complete collapse of their financial system like every 10 years. And she said, you put your dollars, your US dollars in the bank. The bank said, yes, these will be safe. And she said, and then when you go to take your money back, it's being given to you in devalued pesos because the currency has collapsed again, or they're not giving it back to you at all. And you have an expression in crypto, Bitcoin fixes this. And no kidding, it really does. Because one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And whether that Bitcoin is worth $10,000 or $70,000 or 68 cents, it's still a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. And if somebody believes that it has that value, it will transfer. And that is very important to remember because there are a lot of outside agencies, things like the Federal Reserve saying, well, this thing has this much value. And remember, the Federal Reserve is neither federal. It does not belong to the government, nor is it a reserve. It does not hold anything in reserve. It basically just sets these rates. So there have been like a lot of history in the United States of having a very strong dollar. And in fact, right now, the dollar is very strong. But you sit on stage with somebody who says, yes, but Argentina, or yes, but Ecuador, or yes, but, and you realize this is happening in a lot of different countries, Greece, for example, Lebanon, you know, Lebanon is in this situation now where currency has been devalued by 95%. And I've known Lebanese people my whole life. I used to date a wealthy Lebanese man when I was in college. He was a little too sophisticated for me, but I remember the real estate holdings and the, the family like legacy from generations. And I can presume all of that is gone now because of this kind of thing. And I've talked in past episodes about the book, The Hair with Amber Eyes which has won so many awards and which is so beautifully written, but is basically the story of a family's rise to wealth that was completely eradicated in one single afternoon by the Nazis who were basically like, 
please sign here and walk away from 100% of everything that you own, which was everything. Like they, they owned enough money that they loaned money, their money to the government, right? So you look at that and you're like, well, how did this happen? And the answer is, well, they walked away with their lives. And the government said, it's all of this money in exchange for, we will not put you in the concentration camps. We will let you leave. And they did because which part is priceless, right? The, all their accumulation of wealth, their lives. So money is always relative, right? It's relative because it's, as we talk about regularly, the greatest story ever told. We have a belief in money and therefore money exists as the medium of exchange. If we had a belief in furs or beads or tulip bulbs or gold or whatever, then that would become the medium of exchange. In my circles in crypto and especially with people who really know what they're talking about in the crypto space, and I consider you know people who are like Bitcoin maxis, in other words, people who accumulate Bitcoin and don't believe in any other form of crypto those people are really hardcore about what's going on with the financial future. And everybody sees these imminent collapses. I just read a very long thread on Twitter, which by the time this episode airs may very well have come to pass already. A guy is saying, he's paraphrasing Ernest Hemingway, the phrase or the exchange is one guy says to another guy, how did you go bankrupt? And the man says, slowly at first, and then suddenly. And he paraphrased that with the stock market and said, you know, how did the stock market crash happen slowly at first and then suddenly? And we basically, that's what we're looking at right now is, a, is about that time when there's going to be a big stock market crash, which will then precede a recession, which will last, you know, somewhere between one to two years. Now, look, I always say, do your own financial advice. I mean, sorry, do your own research. And this is no financial advice. So, I'm still saying that. But what I am saying also is it's gotten to the point where it's pretty obvious that we are on the brink of a very large recession. Is it something we'll recover from? Yes, I don't think that we're going to be Lebanon, but, and the world's currency is considered like the most valuable, the top right now are the, the pound and the dollar. But it's all relative, right? And remember, none of our currency, all fiat, all government-issued currency is backed by nothing. All of it. There's noises that it will, other currencies will be, you know, the, the, the rupee, for example, in India, they're saying they're going to back, that will be backed by gold. But right now, nothing's backed by anything. And we don't, there is not enough gold in the world to back U.S. currency. They would have to devalue it. And when you have inflation of the kind that we've had, because we printed so much currency, we have had to really, like, we would have to really devalue it a lot to get it back to the old way. And I was reading a book about Queen Caroline recently, and Queen Caroline was queen of, I want to say George IV. This was during the Regency period of, of the British Empire. And so in the early 1800s, and it lasted just a very short regency, it was a very short period of time. Think Jane Austen, right? So Queen Caroline, during the period where there was this coronation going on, they were talking about how much everything cost. And for example, they mentioned a suit of, of you know, the, the costume or whatever that 
a duke would wear to the coronation as costing 800 pounds. And I thought, well, gosh, that's a lot of money. You start to think about things costing like a few shillings or whatever. Well, then it said that the pound had been devalued by something like 500 times less valuable today. And this book was written in like in the mid 90s than it was only 150, 160 years earlier, 170 years earlier. That's a big deal. Like, how do we have those kinds of expenses of a just a costume costing 800 pounds, but then times that was worth 500 times what the pound is worth today? Think about that in terms of devaluing currency. We look at stuff like that, and it all to me comes back to the way that we as a world, as Western culture, value and do not value the commodities and the staples and the niceties of our world. We have this belief, he who dies with the most toys wins. And this is actually going to be a two-part piece. So we'll talk about the difference between men and women when it comes to greed in the second installment. But in this part, I just want to talk about the way that the world looks at things. Bitcoin was created by the people for the people. It is designed so that the unbanked person in Africa is able to get the exact same attention because of the Bitcoin that he has on his phone as I can get in America or as somebody like a Canadian guy on Wall Street or in you know in the stock market in London can get. So why is it that we look at these things so differently in our world, in our culture? I believe it is because we do not value the basic rights that each should have as humans. You look at the amount of money that, for example, Jeff Bezos has, and he was recently famously quoted as saying, it's really hard to find good places to give money to. Well, his ex-wife has just given away like another $2 billion, and she gives away a lot of the money that she got in the divorce. And it's because as one human being, she's not looking for the next mega yacht. By the way, Bezos's yacht at one point had to, they had to disassemble a bridge to get it through in Europe because it was so big. So you look at like, what's more important here? You could have fed a small country for a year on what it took to dismantle the bridge so that Bezos's yacht could get through. Like he couldn't rent another yacht on the other side of the bridge and leave his yacht on that side of the bridge and go to wherever he was going in the Netherlands or whatever, and then come back to his yacht afterwards. He couldn't take his helicopter off of his yacht and fly the helicopter. There were a lot of ways to solve that without taking the bridge out. But that's the kind of thing where you're talking about an echelon of belief about money where it has nothing to do with what we would consider our current reality. I have often thought that one of the things that Amazon should do is pay for all of the after-school programs in the United States and pay for all the preschool programs in the United States. 
Why do I think that? Because it's almost a rounding error to how much Amazon makes and the goodwill that you would get when pretty much every person who has more than like an extra $50 a year is buying something from Amazon with it. So when you look at that and when you see that all Americans are pretty much using Amazon and then most people in the world as well can get to the computer and can process a transaction like that, they're all using Amazon. There's so much money being made. Why not give back in kind of a global way? Well, when Amazon first came out, I remember thinking what an incredibly innovative and like unusual entrepreneur Bezos was. But, you know, 30 years later, we can look and see just like every other guy, he's just acquiring as much wealth as he can personally. There was a funny meme that I saw, I don't know, a few months ago that said, when monkeys collect all the bananas for themselves, refuse to share with other monkeys and hoard all of the bananas, we do a science experiment on them. And when a guy does it, we put him on the cover of Time magazine and say what a captain of industry he is. And I thought about that and how wrong that is. And when we look at the monkeys, we can see how wrong it is. But when we look at the man, we can't. And when it comes to our greed as a culture and our greed as an historical like timeline and through line with the way that we have handled our money, we can see that great greed is always the thing that eventually leads to a great downfall right pride goeth before a fall and all of that but when you look at when you trace the history for example of the roman empire which was over a thousand years you can look to the roots of that downfall at from where they began to devalue their currency where the gold began to be mixed in with silver and then mixed in with copper and there was less and less gold and that was the beginning of the end for the empire but it took a really long time right slowly and then suddenly and we are on the verge of suddenly beginning to happen let's talk about current events let's talk about the fact that my friend from childhood would love for me to be eating crow right now as he points out to me how completely right he was about crypto and how completely wrong I was. Now, to be honest with you, he is a good guy and he didn't know such thing. He has not shown me up. He has not called me and he has not pointed out like on every episode of Goddess of Crypto how wrong I am to his great credit. However, at this moment in history with Sam Bankman-Fried having spectacularly tanked his company and having had so much bankruptcy go on lately with exchanges. And now, like at least at this recording, Gemini is probably the next one on the way down, which is the founded by the Winklevoss twins. Well, the Winklevoss twins are, you know, they have a book written about them called The Bitcoin Billionaires. Like they were the first 
people who saw the value of Bitcoin to the point where they did so much accumulating that when Bitcoin went up, they became billionaires. Well, what's going to be happening to their fund? What's going to be happening to their the way that we believe in their business acumen, having now had the incredible prescience to say, no, we don't want our Facebook money in the form of money. We want it in the form of Facebook stock. And then Facebook went through the roof and they became billionaires over that. And then they put their money into Bitcoin and they became billionaires again. I mean, those are two guys who look like they know how to bet on a winning horse. And yet all of a sudden, now they may lose their company. They may lose their fund. They may lose their exchange. It kind of looks like bad news. And Sam Bankman-Fried, you want to talk about you know, your mindset being a self-fulfilling prophecy. He said, I would like to give away my $30 billion fortune. Well, now supposedly he's got a hundred grand in the bank. And that may seem like a lot to some of us, but to somebody who had $30 billion. And again, it's fine to have, okay, I'm assuming everybody knows the all about the scandal that's been going on, but he was considered the next Warren Buffett. And now he's just, you know, like we're not quite sure this week whether he's on the run from the police because no arrest orders were issued, but you know, that seems to be imminent. And if it isn't, then there's the system's even more broken than we had thought. The point of all of this is that there are becoming these enormous structures that are based in money. And there's no longer like the concept of too big to fail, $30 billion. Is that too big to fail? It just did. And spectacularly. So now what is going to happen? And when it came to what was going on behind the scenes, at first it looked like, oh, that poor guy. And now it's come out that there were all these illegal transactions that were going on, back doors that were built in, that the left hand was sending money to the right hand, but the right hand was you know, saying, hey, look over here to the left hand so that people didn't really know what was happening. And I'm using extremely general layman's, like making stuff up analogy uh, terms because I don't want to get into the specifics of the transactions. People have written plenty about that. That's not the point of this. The point is that it's the emperor's new clothes. And yet everybody from the Shark Tank guy, Mr. Wonderful, to most of the major players in the crypto space all said that his company was amazing. Freed himself, Bankman Freed. I don't know. They started calling him Bankman Fraud. And I just thought that was very funny. But he was the like second largest donor to the Democratic, I believe it was the Democratic Party, but to the Biden campaign. And now, now all Democrats get stained with, well, what did you know? But in another year, it would have been to the Republican Party. And then it's just been really, really hard to tell who is more corrupt and how much more corruption we can handle. And his company was like the fifth company to go bankrupt in the last month and huge exchanges are going down. And, you know, how, how do you tell, like, how do you tell who's right? And how, like, can I look my friend, this high level finance guy with fiat in the eye and say, yes, I still believe in crypto. Yes, there's still going to be a huge upside to this market. Yes, this is where millionaires and billionaires will be made. 
And yes, I believe that the goddess of crypto knew what she was doing when she knocked me off my bike that day and said, this is the financial tsunami that's coming. My friend still believes in fiat currency. My friend still believes that fiat currency is the only way to go and that crypto is absolutely the wrong thing to do. So why am I here telling you the exact reverse? Because of the fall of Rome, because slowly at first and then suddenly, and we are getting to that tipping point of suddenly, but we're not there yet. I believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. I believe it's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years. If I'm wrong, it's going to happen in the lifetime of your children, but it's coming. And it's coming because as a people, as a population, individual persons accepted, culturally, we are all about living inside of a world where there is as much greed as possible, as much grabbing of more than enough resources for each person as possible, and not giving the bananas, not distributing those bananas among the other monkeys, saying, I'm going to keep all the bananas. We're smart enough to see that that's not the fair thing to do when it comes to a tribe of chimpanzees. When it comes to a tribe of humans, we seem incapable of seeing the path that we are on in this regard. And therefore, eventually, we will be Argentina or Ecuador or Lebanon or any of the countries that this has happened in. And that is the traje trajectory that we are on. What I will also say, the last point that I want to make here is the Dalai Lama said the world will be saved by the Western woman. And that means you and me. And I believe that we are being charged with that right now, getting the ship back on track, writing it and steering it in a different direction where greed is not the thing that we are all moving through and towards more of, rather that we begin to share our resources among us. So the holidays are coming up. What are you doing to share your resources? What are you doing to make different choices with your money this holiday season? Last holiday, year ago almost, I made some donations through my business because I put aside part of my profit to do charitable donations. And so I waited until there was like all the triple matching and everything. And I spent a few hundred dollars in several different charitable organizations. I love animals. So I donate to the Humane Society. I donate to Charity Water. I donate to the Unstoppable Organization. I donate to the Underground Railroad. I donate to Feeding South Florida. I love all those organizations. And I gave each of them what I considered a pretty small donation, under $1,000 in each case. And there were personal phone calls made to me from most of those organizations because of the amount that I had donated, because they were so grateful. And the triple matching, of course, or the double matching for you know different organizations was huge. That told me how little you have to do to make what looks to them like a really big difference. And that was very empowering for me to realize that, to realize that we say, oh, I have so little to give and I'm just giving this little bit. 
when you actually are giving so much. I was making my other donations, you know, throughout the year, just a little bit at a time, but monthly, because they like that when you do it monthly. So I didn't notice, but it, you know, the minute my donation hit like over $500, it's like, oh, that's a big deal. Be aware of that. Be aware of what kind of a change you can make in those lives, especially in a year where we're talking about a recession, especially in the year when people are talking about tightening their belts, because you can be the person that is making that difference. And if you're a woman and you're hearing this, then you too are being called, as the Dalai Lama said, to be one of those Western women who will change and save the world. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Goddess of Crypto. And I'm looking forward to having you share this with your wives, your daughters, your girlfriends, your moms, your besties, everybody, so that every woman in the world will know that there is a financial tsunami coming and we can learn to surf and ride the waves. I'll see you next time. Every week, transformational wealth coach Hallie Evelyn leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. Be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege, it's your right. <laughs>